I mean, it was a lot of long nights and weekends. I mean, we met in my apartment once a week for every Monday night for like two years. Mm -hmm. And then when the team got a little bit bigger, we met at um, like Pret in Midtown, you know, every Monday night Okay. um, for four or five years. I mean, we never had an office. We never had any overhead. You know, we just tried to keep things really simple so that we could focus on doing what we wanted to do, which was like building tools for design. In these times of fast change, have you ever thought architecture might be falling a bit short and wondered what's next? Well, let's find out. My name is Luca De Stefano. I'm one of the founders of None, and this is Boundary Breaking Businesses Beyond Architecture. Designers and commissioners of tomorrow speaking today. Episode 2. The Architect Startup. Hello and welcome back to Beyond Architecture for this second episode. Our first episode was all about giving you a small crash course on anything you need to know about architecture as an industry. So if you're uh, running your firm, if you want to start a firm at some point, you kind of have an overview of what's going on in the industry. Today, we delve a bit deeper into technology. We do it with one of the founders of Morfolio Apps. They have a super, super interesting operational model based on very much the organization of our architecture office, we could say, except that they are a tech company. They sell tech products, which are, by the way, quite cool. And I believe they could be a big inspiration. So our guest and her amazing team released two apps. One is Morfolio Trace, one of the very first sketching apps to come to iPad. It won lots of awards, is today very, very successful. And the second one is Morfolio Board which is a mood board app for interior designers to compile their vision and communicate it to clients and colleagues. We will hear more about their story and our guest will also share her vision on the future of design technology. We connect with New York, USA, because today at Beyond Architecture, we talk with Anna Kenoff. Hi. Hey, <laughs> very good to have you. Thank you for having me. So we're just talking about the fact that there is a hidden guest in this podcast, there is actually a dog sitting on your on your feet while you're recording. There is. He's my baby. Oh, I love it. So yeah. if you guys yeah. hear uh, some barking, it's probably some smart comments over the future of technology and architecture. Right, right. Or he's calling me out on something. Just yeah. pay no attention. Well, yeah. and I want to jump right into the topic. Um, how does an architect go from architecture school to starting a tech startup and then being a founder. How did, how did it go? Like what happened? <laughs> you make it sound so streamlined. Um, yeah. So I, I was, I'd finished architecture school and grad school and, um, I worked in New York city for about 10 years. Um, and at the time the iPad had just come out and, uh, someone very smart came to me and said, you know, Hey, you know, we're all carrying these around. I think it's interesting that architects tend to be kind of early adopters of technology like the iPhone and iPad, but they weren't yet really doing anything for us professionally. Right. So we would carry them on the flight to the project in Hong Kong, but like only watch Netflix on the plane, you know? Um, so we had this idea about making a portfolio app. Um, 
which we thought, you know, just our work needed to be inside this thing and that portfolios could be more flexible and you could move them around. Uh, keep in mind, this was like 2009. So this was sort of a novel thing at the time. I mean, I had just printed a 170 page portfolio for my grad school, you know, uh, graduation. Um, so we just, we were really curious about what would happen. So, so we did this as kind of a side project, a research project. I had friends from Columbia who I knew were already making apps and were interested in that kind of uh, architecture, if you will. Um, and once we got, uh, kind of our work inside the iPad, it became pretty quickly this like desire to draw on top of it. Um, so this was pre-pencil. There were stylus options, you know, but it was still really early. So you would do it, you would do it with your finger. How would it look right. like? Right. Yeah. Finger or like a really basic stylus. Okay. Um, because, you know, once you have your portfolio in your iPad and you're circulating it around, then maybe you want someone to comment on it or you want to, um, you know, yourself to comment on it so that you could then shuffle the pages or, you know, whatever, like, I like how we mark up PDFs today. Um, mm -hmm. but this really wasn't happening at the time. Um, And we, I think intellectually were just really curious, you know, the two partners that I mentioned who were, are still doing all of our coding, but that were interested in the app space. Um, also had a lot of ideas about what happens when you're holding your work in a new way and you're touching the screen and, you know, what kind of feedback are we giving when we're touching the screen, we're pausing on an image, we're, you know, scrolling through things. Um, you know, I think they really had some vision about this kind of connection of the hand back to the screen in a way that the mouse was not mm -hmm. uh, doing, right? So we talked about um, web versions of our apps. They had no interest. You know, it was like, no, we're just we're mobile first. We want to see what happens when the hand hits the screen. Um, so anyway, we had this portfolio app. We spread it around to our friends and family. Um, it got some traction. And uh, we kind of quickly, as I said, realized that we wanted to be able to draw on top of things. So we created these layers of trace paper. Ultimately, that drawing piece came out and became Morfolio Trace. Mm. Um, and we kind of left the portfolio idea behind and just focused on the drawing. All right. Um, in those years, also, luckily, Apple introduced the iPad Pro, you know, the pencil came out, like the idea yeah. of having a drawing app for architects just got more and more interesting as the hardware evolved. And Anna, so 2009, you already worked for 10 years, you said, as an architect by then? I had been working for about 10 years, yep. And and there you started mm -hmm. experimenting as a side project. And when did this become real? Like, okay, maybe we should focus on this rather than sticking to our day jobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that wasn't until I think, 2012 or 13, okay. um, when we were officially all full-time. Um, I was still doing, I worked at Columbia for a while in like um, exhibitions and, and research and architectural kind of public works. Um, and then I took on consulting gigs in firms um, and then kind of did this as, as a side project. It, it wasn't making money for a long time. There was no subscription. 
Um, my partners were teaching at Columbia. You know, we were all just doing different things. Um, and I have to say, uh, it, that, you know, it's a little bit different model than startups, mm-hmm. a lot of startups today, because there's so much funding out there for startups. And we always resisted that urge and still have to take any sort of outside funding. Um, and it meant that we had to kind of stay scrappy and grow a little bit more slowly. But we always say it was the best. You'll be growing organically yep. so far. Yes. So yes. zero funding. Totally. Zero funding. Wow. Now that's made possible by two things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's made possible by two things. Number one, we came together as a group of partners who were all architects, but you know, two of them knew how to code. And I had done a, a bit of marketing and PR and, you know, so we were able, we'd all done some graphic design. So we've been able to do the work ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't know how to do something, we just figure it out. I mean, that's the design school mentality, right? Like if you don't know how to do it, teach yourself. It's definitely something that comes out of Columbia's program in particular. Um, so that's one thing is kind of that, you know, staying scrappy and figuring it out. Um, but we always feel like it's the best thing we did because it didn't push us to make decisions too quickly. It didn't push us to grow too quickly. We were always able to really like stay close to our audience, see what tools they really needed and build those tools. And I think that really is very rewarding because you know, when you have a VC like breathing down your neck to build something that they think is going to grow, like that thing might become a gimmick and it just doesn't, yeah. you know, doesn't pan out. This is, this is such a good point. And like, it's very similar to where we are at the moment with non-architecture. Like we have been growing a community, mm. but I feel like I always blame the fact that we are architects. If we were students of engineering or economics, most likely we would have got funding already to develop a bigger scalable vision. <laughs> Is that the case for you? Like, is it because you guys are a bunch of architects from Colombia and therefore wanted to have control over what you were creating? Is that the reason why you never got funding or? For sure. I think some amount of creative control Mm. was desirable. Also, keep in mind, this started out as a side project, a research project. So, you know, it was supposed to be, um, you know, an escape from everything else. Right. So we wanted to like really do it our own. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, limited, you know, tolerance of risk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, yeah, patience. Um, but it must have been a very slow process, no? I mean, if you don't get this huge injection of five millions all in a go and, and then, you know, you start, how do you do this transition? How long did it take for you guys to become profitable enough to be full-time like you were in this hybrid zone you you mentioned what happened after that mm-hmm. right so so from 2009 i think that i quit my day job in 2013 okay um so that's you know that's four years and 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 then still you know and ultimately and we had an intern and then ultimately now he has come on full-time and he's a director Um, and we also have another coder who's actually in the Ukraine, um, and he is full-time and, and really incredible, um, contributor. Um, and then we have someone sort of working on database and, and other coding stuff. So we've actually grown, but I think that, um, 
Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of long nights and weekends. I mean, we met in my apartment once a week um, for every Monday night for like two years. Mm -hmm. And then when the team got a little bit bigger, we met at um, like Pret in Midtown, you know, every Monday night Okay. um, for four or five years. I mean, we never had an office. We never had any overhead. You know, we just tried to keep things really simple so that we could focus on doing what we wanted to do, which was like building tools for design. And how, how is it? How is it today? Where are you at? You mentioned a team of 10, right? No, 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 no. We are a team of seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah. At the moment, we're a team of seven. Um, we are scattered all over the world, so we still don't have an office, but that works fine, <laughs> especially post COVID. Um, and yeah, the business is great. I mean, we're all, we we're really lucky and, um, we have enough subscribers that we can, you know, rely on subscription, um, and continue to just focus, like keep our eye on the prize. Mm -hmm. What the prize is for us is making tools for design. Like that's our first love. Um, you know, the prize is not some, some, some number of success by VC. Mm -hmm. The prize is like, you know, really having an impact on the day-to-day -day design process. Uh, we were talking about you guys being seven for a long time, reducing risks. And now you have a lot of subscribers all around the world. And mm -hmm. I, I have two questions. I'm not sure which one to start from. One. Okay. Let's start from this one. Okay. I, I think it's a good one. What was the biggest struggle? Like, there were, were there moments where you said, okay, this side gig is not really going, like, this is too much work. I haven't seen any money or I don't see enough money. I should go back to my corporate job. Hmm. There definitely were moments like that, for sure, where it was like, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> where is this going? Um, and I, you know, I think, We all felt because of our commitment really to one another. You know, they say there's this thing in a marriage where it's like, as long as one of you loves the other one enough all the time, like you stay together, you know, it's like, yeah, somebody was committed enough to the vision all along that I think none of us were willing to leave the others in the lurch. Um, so I think for many years, it was just this feeling of like, we're all in this together. We'll get there. And then there were the medium years where, oh, it's maybe not making as much as I had hoped it would, or mm -hmm. I need it to make more now because of, you know, things in my life, you know, I need a certain salary. And I think in those years, you know, or, or let me rephrase that. There was another phase where people would often come to me and say, hey, you know, you have this awesome startup, like, are you going to sell it for a million bucks or, you know, whatever. And I always felt like I just need it to do what it's doing for me right now. Mm -hmm. You know, if it can be this incredible job that makes what it needs to make in the moment, then we'll worry about the future later. I think hitching your wagon to that star is a little dangerous, you know, and I think we all have to live life a little bit more in the moment. Of course, you're investing your time and energy. You have to be smart about your trajectory. But um, I think it's really important to think about how do you want to spend your days and if 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 that's going well and it's doing what it can do for you in the moment, then, you know, those years matter. It doesn't, the, the, the ending point will be what it is. Does that make sense? <laughs> a lot, a lot, because it, it kind of debunks this 
myth around startups, which is don't build it if you cannot scale it 10 times in, uh, in a few years, you know, like it's all about the end goal. And probably that's right because right. you get, you get investors on board. And what you guys did is the opposite. It's, it's all about the process. Am I enjoying the process? Am I in control of the process? If I am, then, then I'm, I'm doing something I love. If I don't, then I need to make a lot of money. I need to make a lot of money for others that invested in it. It gets a lot more complicated, I feel. Right. Um, right. And maybe that's the time when we started it. You know, we all started about in our 30s, not in our 20s. Um, if we started in our 20s, we wouldn't have had the experience to know what architects need. Um, mm -hmm. I think that really having spent that much time on the ground is what um, allows us to make things that work. Um, starting in your thirties, you know, we're all have young children. We all have families like, you know, it, it was, a, there's always hard work. There's always weekends and late nights and all that kind of stuff. But, um, there was also, I think this desire for some balance, um, and this need for us to maintain some control of, of what that looked like. Yeah. And we'll just move at the pace that's right for our users. And look, I mean, there's lots of things we'd like to do every day, <laughs> faster, faster, faster. We're getting faster and better. And the technology, I mean, every day we have a list of, of 10 new things we'd like to add. Um, so, you know, we're trying to go as fast as we can. Um, but I think it's a better product because we've been thoughtful as opposed to just fast. Okay. I like that. Thoughtful instead of fast. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> some of your, uh, Co-founders already were coding. You mentioned that, right? So the skills were already in the mm -hmm, team. You never mm -hmm. needed to hire externals. Right. Right. I think that's a very unique situation for Morfolio. I think so. It's quite a privilege to find architects that know how to code and build their own app. <laughs> <laughs> that's New York. You can find anything in New York. Okay. Well, then, uh, I think we should, we should re reconsider like where we work or what we do. I feel like in the US, <laughs> there is a lot more open mind towards technology, towards seeing architecture and design as a business and therefore incorporating a lot of business mindset or tech mindset into the design process. While in Europe, there is a lot of resistance. There is either those that code or those that don't. Architects are the artists, the mm -hmm. thinkers. I don't know if, if that feels like that mm -hmm. on the other side of the ocean or not. Totally. It does. I mean, there were moments where I felt like I was turning my back on humanity by jumping into a tech startup and leaving my, you know, job where I was, I was working on public architecture with the Museum of Modern Art. I mean, I, that was a hard kind of leap. Um, but once I understood it as like, we're creating a tool that we believe in, as long as we always believe in it, and as long as it's authentic, then I think it's not about you know, tech startup or the money or whatever. It's like any architecture project. You believe in the project, you know, and what it's bringing to culture and society and um, hopefully good people. So I think as long as I, you know, when I position it in that way, I think it's, it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think the same divide exists in the U.S. very much, especially in New York. You know, I think it's the small firms that I've worked for, it's all blood, sweat, and tears, and no one's has an eye on the business bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in some ways, you could argue that we're the same, you know? I mean, we're, yeah, we're running a tech startup like an architecture firm, and that's why it's still small and has taken 10 years. But um, ultimately, if you're doing what you believe in, I, I think that's okay. And are you the, the business mind of the team? Like, 
I feel like you're a bit the CEO role, even though I couldn't find anywhere who's the CEO of Morfolio. So maybe you, you, you could explain <laughs> a bit more about it. No, we're all uh, co-founders or co-creators. Um, you know, I think, I think we all, there's no one business mind. I mean, we've hired a business consultant here or there. We've, you know, mm-hmm. if someone that helps you with your taxes, I mean, you know, we just, um, I think we really approach everything, um, more through a design charrette than a business mind. Um, and you know, we work through problems and for us, the question is always like, what is that never go back moment? You know, what is the problem that we're trying to solve with each tool? And the question is never how many of these can we sell or, you know, it's like, if we're solving a problem, then there's an audience. Um, and that's, to me, that's business 101, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense, but it's a bit the opposite of design. Like very often design is more of self-expression rather than problem solving. That's true. And we get into those things sometimes, you know, we have debates, we have things that we have to leave on the cutting room floor. We have things that maybe one partner's super interested in and another partner's not. Um, and that's where we usually go out to our community and we try things out and mm. see what works and see how people respond and see what sticks. And we've had things that we've put out there that haven't gotten a lot of traction. And, you know, then you sort of edit. Um, one thing that's interesting about building apps, like a big, a big mind uh, transition that I had to make was, you know, when you build a building, you spend so much time up front making sure it's perfect. And then you spend so much time building it and making sure it's perfect. And then you kind of release it into the world and it's done. Um, and with software, you make something, you put it out there, you see what people think. It comes back to you. You, you know, refine it, refresh it, make it better, send it back out there into the world. You know, I was so scared to put anything out there because I felt like it had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these developers were like, we don't know what perfect is until we get it into people's hands. Um, so that has been like a huge shift for me in terms of my thinking and my comfort zone and, and like my design process is that now it's a much more iterative process, but not inside the studio. It's an iterative process with our whole community, you know? Yeah. It's quite, it's, it's quite interesting. Huh? Like I, I never thought of it this way, but it makes a lot of sense. It's all about prototyping and iterating rather than making the one perfect design. I, I wonder if we could do the same with architecture. Like, could you prototype a building? I give you the shell, I give you a few rooms, and then we see in six months if you if you need something extra. See what happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a thesis project somewhere. It, it does, it does. And uh, yeah. I have a question. Yeah, I, I want to focus a bit more on what's Morfolio today. Like, what's cooking at the moment? Is there going to mm-hmm. be some new cool features? Yeah, there is, actually. Um one of the things we're most excited about right now is um, with iOS 17, which um, should be released in September of 2023. Um, uh, Apple has made some really incredible upgrades to a technology that they call RoomScan. Mm. So we have taken RoomScan and we have um, incorporated it into Trace. And so RoomScan takes your the LiDAR camera, which probably many people don't even know is living inside of their iPhone or iPad, depending on how new it is. Um, and you can literally, you kind of open it and trace and you choose room scan and you can scan any room or building uh, more from the inside. 
And it gives you like a scaled 3D model instantly of that space. Okay. So like in two seconds, you have the space. And in Trace now, you can move around that model. You can set a perspective. You could set an axon. You could set a plan. And you can just like start drawing immediately. So I don't know if you remember this, but like going to a site, like a warehouse, and it's going to turn into a gallery. And you're measuring it by hand. Because whatever drawings they gave you, at least in New York, were not that precise and Mm -hmm. certainly weren't accurate. And if nothing else, you're definitely having to verify, you know, Uh, and you're like an intern and you're hot and you've got a tape measure and you're like basically redrawing this site, you know, Mm -hmm. in your notebook. And then you go put it into CAD and it's just a really complicated process. Um, And so with room plan, you can just like scan it and you can start right away. I mean, it's really incredible. Can you export to Rhino, SketchUp? I mean, the most common 3D software? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Yeah, it builds on... Yeah, yeah. And we also have a tool called um, um, Shadow Maker. So you can even set your position in the world and it'll show you the exact shadows. You can move the sun however you want. So it really gives you like a lot to start with, um, you know, when you're like diving into a project, right? Yeah, it's really about... Mm-hmm. How do architects interact with technology through the design process? Because I feel what you guys propose and the way you position Morfolio is that we started turning on big computers and modeling things for hours and having them perfect. And therefore the sketch is not that valuable anymore. This is kind of a comeback, isn't it? Way like you're trying to bring back the immediateness of a <laughs> sketch into, into the process, you know? Yeah, it is. But it's not nostalgic. A lot of people confuse it with the idea of like a skeuomorph, you know, like the grocery cart on the Amazon website. It's like not an actual cart. Um, we, it, it's not for nostalgic reasons. We really believe that the creative flow from the brain to the hand, what happens when you sketch something and then your eye sees it, your eye takes that back in, reprocesses that information builds upon your ideas. All of that is happening without you even knowing it. So, you know, this kind of creative flow of thinking and creativity that can happen when you're just like working like fluidly by hand is what we've always wanted to champion. So combining really smart technology in a way that lets you work more fluidly is what we think makes a better design process. So yes, Ultimately, those sketches are always going to go into CAD. CAD's amazing. I, you know, it's, um, it may be tedious and maybe we all get tired of using it for hours, but like, you know, all of those CAD and BIM and all that kind of stuff is super important when you get to a certain level. Um, but when you're designing, you know, you're ultimately thinking in a more like, um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, trans like a translation phase, you know, you're turning on layers, you're trying to remember some things and forget other things to allow your brain to translate that into new ideas. And that for us happens in a more fluid space than mm-hmm. with the, you know, the mouse and the kind of touch point of the computer. So what, what should we expect in terms of design technology? Like what's What's coming up new in, in the process of designing buildings or urban plans or landscape design? <laughs> if only I knew the real answer to that question. Um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think technology is throwing so much at us uh, every day. Um, 
I think one big question is what will happen with AI. Um, I think AI is most interesting when we think of it as a kind of partner or a co-pilot. You know, I think architects, you know, sure, some people specialize, but often you have to become an expert in X, Y, or Z to do a certain project, right? Mm -hmm. So I think when AI can help us process lots of information and research and, you know, kind of become experts quicker at things that can inform our design, whether it's, you know, making something more sustainable or something programmatic like healthcare, you know, I, I think there's a lot of ways that AI can help the process. I don't think we have to worry about it replacing the process. Same thing in imagery. Um, I've seen some interesting things in the rendering world where maybe it can speed up uh, the rendering process and mm -hmm. create some efficiencies there. But ultimately, the designer is going to be the one that has the real vision and can kind of curate, um, you know, what an image needs to be. Um, so I'm watching that space, but I'm not worried about that space. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I wish I knew more. Maybe I'd have another second startup, <laughs> but yeah. I, I actually, I really think the, I think, you know, I actually think the most interesting intersections are, um, I'm seeing startups, um, where, and some not so new, but where they're really helping to take like hardcore environmental data, you know, scientific data, building data, and help us to make better buildings. I think that's the most interesting thing. I think a lot of times when we talk about te um, architecture technology, we think that we're talking about the design process, you know, the morfolio and the rendering and the sketching and the, mm -hmm. um, the CAD. But I think... Uh, you know, we really need to start thinking about how do we build better buildings. And so I think things that are popping up in that space are, are the things to watch. Yeah. I, I see like so far AI came to Photoshop to Adobe mostly. Like I, I don't see any other company mm -hmm. releasing any AI features just yet. But I mean, the way I use the Photoshop AI so far, it's, it's very much a visualization tool. Um, I wonder right. if maybe the big revolution with AI would come with the user interface of, of software. Like you don't have any more to find the right icon or to type the right command. It's just prompting things. And, and maybe the software does this complex work as you, as you also called it. Would that make sense? Yeah, I think we're going to have our minds blown in the next few years, but you know, like anything, uh, you know, we have to always think about what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Um, you know, so what is the real world application um, I think you can be a visionary and still ask that question, um, to make sure that you're creating something that's actually really useful. Yeah. Especially in today's world where, you know, the world needs so much of us right now, like uh, no more gimmicks, you know, I think just like focus on, on things that are, are solving actual problems. Yeah. And so you were saying if I had another company, I would do AI uh, to solve complex building issues that make buildings <laughs> more sustainable. Is that right? Did I get it right? Or? Yes, totally. Maybe I'll start that tomorrow. <laughs> Something <But> like that. <laughs> without investors. <laughs> right, 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 right. Without investors. Yeah. I mean, maybe those guys get a bad rap, but um, I think that, you know, we... It, it's good to to stay scrappy and stay lean. I think um, 
in the end, you make better decisions. Yeah. I also, like I, some time ago, I was in Oslo, invited for via via reasons uh, to this Catapult Future Festival, which is basically like one of the biggest mm -hmm. impact investors in Europe. And they, they just gather there, most of impact investors around the world. So there is a branch mm -hmm. of investors that have more than one agenda. They never have only the good agenda. There is always the money agenda in, on the table. But I feel like if you mm -hmm. bring something else, if you bring added value, like you were saying, managing complex, sustainable projects, managing, you know, the big challenges of tomorrow, then it's fine if you mm -hmm. don't scale up 10 times, if you don't, you know, return these investments with crazy numbers, as long as you can make a bit of profit right. and bring back extra value, maybe there are investors out there that could do the job. Right, right. I mean, I, you know, I always say like, not everything has to be a unicorn, <laughs> you know, like I think mm -hmm. this kind of thinking has has gotten us into some trouble over the years. Um, not us, Morfolio, but, you know, a, as a culture, as a society, you know, I think um, that way of thinking, I mean, I, I saw companies get bought up by WeWork and then, you know, kind of disappear um, that I would have really liked to see what happened to them, you know, in the last 10, five years, let's say, mm -hmm. um, if they had kind of stayed on their own. Um And, you know, that said, we're also, I, I, I get it that what we're making is very small infrastructure compared to lots of other things, right? And we have yeah. the infrastructure of the app store and, um, you know, therefore we're relying on Apple. So like someone could call us out on that, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, so I, I don't want to throw shade at, at anyone, but I do think that this idea of growth being your primary value, it, you need some growth. Businesses have to grow. Um, but, you know, ultimately, you want to make sure that what you're doing is is just if it's authentic, it will grow, you know. Yeah. And, um, and this kind of links well to. Ahead to let's say the, the questions I normally put out there at the end of the podcast, which are more practical recommendations to those that are still practicing architecture, maybe running their own firm, or maybe just starting their career after school. Do you have any advice for them? We share some good, good stuff, some useful stuff. But maybe there is something extra that's <laughs> worth mentioning. Useful stuff. Um, I think don't be afraid of hard work for sure. You know, it's easy in the days of social media. It looks like everyone's, you know, life is so glamorous and, um, maybe you're stuck at your desk and they're not. Um, but in fact, <laughs> like, you know, a, a really smart, um, executive at Apple one time said to us, like every overnight success is like has, you know, 10 years of blood, sweat and tears behind it. Um, So, you know, I think don't be afraid of hard work, um, especially when you're young, and you have the freedom to, to do that. I think you get back all of that, that time and investment in, in the, you know, how quickly you learn in those early years. Um, I think, you know, for those starting their firm, I mean, I never had the privilege or the immense responsibility of starting my own architecture firm. I think that is a much more volatile, almost frontline uh, economic landscape compared to building a software company in a way, um, because you're relying on, you know, trying to land big projects and hiring for big projects, and then projects go away. And the problem of too much work, not enough work is, is hard, and it's real. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, as I kind of said before, but like, think about how you want to spend your day and, and partner with people whose 
you know, talents match yours. So if you want to spend your whole day designing, then find someone who wants to spend their time chasing the work, you know, um, and, and be real about, you know, what are your strengths and weaknesses and how can those be part of a collaborative that can, uh, be more sustainable, you know? Um, and to, to, to those that are thinking after this podcast, you know what, I'm quitting architecture. I'm starting a tech startup. What would you say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Starting a tech startup. Stay nimble. Uh, You know, I think if you're if you're small and scrappy, then you can respond really quickly to what your users want and need. You can build things fast, put them out there, um, and you can also change them fast. You can pivot. Um, so I think that's that's like a good strategy. I also think, as I said before, like think about how you want to spend your day. You know, you want to mm -hmm. create an app. I, a lot of people come to me and say, I want to create an app. You know, I have an idea for an app. But it's like, do you also want to grow an app? Do you also want to service that app community? Do you also want to, you know, an app is, like I said, it's not a building, it's not done. It's like a living, breathing thing. And it has to be updated daily almost. <laughs> um, so, you know, and that's part of what's super exciting about it. I mean, that's what we've loved about it. We, I love um, the tool we've made is great, but I really love interacting with the community that uses it. Um, So that's a gift, but you know, that's, it, yeah. it, it's not something that you just kind of put in the app store and call it a day. It's a bit like a, like a building indeed. Like if you have an idea for an app, you maybe have one image that doesn't mean you have a design for a building you can build tomorrow. So good luck getting from that image right. to, the, <laughs> right. to the, you know, to construction right. drawings. That's the kind of process you would do with an app as well, at least for the first iterations. Right. Right. But there's, there's many different, uh, dimensions to that building, right? But also, I, I also do believe in, um, you know, at least in my experience, a good design education um, had a lot to do with um, kind of problem solving and design thinking and, and learning how to think about a problem. So I think architects are really well poised to go out into the world and not just build buildings, but to think through uh, complex problems and issues. And so I think if you don't want to stay behind a desk building buildings. There's lots of other um, places to plug in, you know, whether it's creating other things or also thinking about how we talk about architecture uh, to a broader public and a culture and, and um, you know, that kind of uh, sociological work. So, I, you know, I think if you have an architecture degree, you're probably well prepared to take on anything. Big challenges. <laughs> big challenges yeah as i yeah. said the world needs a lot from us right now yeah well anna i want to wrap it up here i think this was really useful and we didn't hear any barking so i guess your dog enjoyed as well <laughs> he's napping we're good <laughs> i hope our listeners are not napping but <laughs> right right hopefully not No, I love what you guys are doing and I'd like to hear more about that and how you came to it. So maybe we'd, we'd turn this around <laughs> oh, sometime. Thanks. Thank you so much. I come to your podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> more of a blog. Super. Thank you. Anna. All right. Thank you. All right. It was a super useful talk. I, I enjoyed a lot learning 
not only the technical and professional side of things, but also the story from Anna, the way they got together, they operated, which reminds a lot of the way an architecture firm would operate and grow, if you think about it. Also, the size and the organization is quite similar. That gave me inspiration for this week's boundary-breaking business model. Let's go. The subscription architect. Okay, the subscription architect. What do I mean? Let me explain this. I think Anna pointed out quite nicely that one of the strengths of operating as Morfolio is that they live out of a subscription model. Basically, they reached an amount of subscribers and that keeps them running. It's a stable income and is the exact opposite of the way architecture firms work today. You normally work on a project base. When the project finishes, you have to find a new one. Ideally, you are overlapping these two actions, so you have a continuous pipeline. But the thing is that the cash flow will always be discontinuous. While with a subscription, you could actually get a stable income throughout the years and, you know, accommodate peaks here and there. How to do that? Big challenge, very, very big challenge. Um, I have two quick ideas in mind. It's just, you know, initial thoughts, but I'm really curious to hear from you guys what you think. One way could be maintaining the typical service that architects provide, except that you twist them into a subscription. So for example, you could close contracts on a subscription base with real estate developers or with clients that need from you iterative commissions. You know, you could agree on a certain amount of hours per year and they are on hold. You basically work on retainer. And then a second option would rather be that as an architecture firm, you keep your branch operating with architectural projects coming in and out. And then on the side, maybe you have a stream of revenues based on why not? A small app, a consultancy service, a coaching service, there's plenty of options out there, but this stream of services could be based on a subscription. Think about education, for example. You could start releasing courses regularly and all those that support you through Patreon or other platform could subscribe to your channels, give you a small income every month, but that would keep you on track with a stable stream while the fluctuations of the other branch kind of come and go. Again, another quick idea, it's meant to be a way to start a conversation. So let's continue, let's hear from you if you think this model could work or if you have ideas on how this model could get better. Or why not, if you have ideas on new, different boundary-breaking business models inspired by this conversation, reach out to our usual channels, known A podcasts on Instagram, known A on LinkedIn, and whatever software or platform you use to listen to us, could be YouTube, could be Spotify, could be Apple Podcasts, just open up the tab right now, hit follow, give us a rating. It means the world to us. It means the world hearing from you, hearing that this is landing somewhere and you have good ideas that come out of this. Keep the conversation going and please let us know what you think. Beyond Architecture is a non-A podcast. This episode has been developed with the financial support of the Dutch Creative Industries Fund. Editorial support and marketing for Nonei, Marco Mattia Cristofori, Daniela Silva, and Francisco Rivera. Sound supervision by Daniel van der Poppe for Sprachmarker Media. Advisory, Max Augustine, Martine Chloe van der Bomen, Francesco De Stefano, and Anne Bruna. 
I'm Luca De Stefano, your host, and this was Beyond Architecture. 